today we're uh, at the end of First Peter series. We started back uh, in August, and uh, we're uh, down to the the last couple of verses. And um, one of the things that you might do when you come to the end of a uh, a letter like this is kind of do what uh, people do. Uh, like I get emails from guys here all the time who work at Capital One. And they'll have the email, and then at the end of the email, there's this paragraph about who the email belongs to and, and just a lot of words that uh, looks kind of scary. Like, you know, if, if I do something wrong with this email, you know, or am I going to get arrested? You know, is the floor going to open up in, underneath me or whatever? And so you just kind of don't read that. Well, we kind of get to this, and we read these names and... Uh, you know, this crazy stuff about greeting people with a kiss of love and then uh, all, all of those kinds of things. And so you think, well, this is this is kind of a throwaway stuff at the end of the book. Let's get on to something else. But the fact is we'd miss out on something really important here. And um, we'd miss out on the fact that, uh, <clears throat> you know, th- these words written by Peter are no less authoritative and no less the word of God to us than any other portion of, of the Bible. So uh, let me read to you then First uh, Peter five twelve to 14. Text is printed in the bulletin and uh, also up on uh, the screens uh, behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. One of the things that I think is important anytime we read the Bible, especially people like us who, who look at this and, and read the scriptures, people who are around the Bible and around these kinds of things, uh, we can kind of forget sometimes the reality of what's going on here. And I think it's good for us to read here at the end of this text some people's names. It's good for us to hear that this was delivered by a guy named Silvanus, that Peter is there with a group of people in the church. He uses the, the code word there for Babylon, which, which really, he, he's not in Babylon. There was no Babylon at this time. It's code language for Rome. Uh, that's where he is, probably facing uh, persecution, that those people... Uh, greet them, and his friend Mark is there with them as well. So one of the things that you have to understand about the gospel, one of the things that you have to understand about the nature of the work of Jesus Christ, and it's good for us to see this, is that it, it, it's in, it, what we're talking about here has to do with real life, with real people, with, with real concerns and, and, and names and destinies and families and, and all of that. So, the, so it's important for us to kind of understand that because what happens to us is we treat the Bible often as this thing that we come to that is going to make me a better person. Or somehow or other, it's an instruction book on how I can raise my children better, or how I can find the right kind of spouse, or uh, that I, you know, there are four or five principles that I can come up with that'll make me a better employee or whatever. But what what Peter is saying is, no, listen, what we have here is the revelation of God to us in Jesus Christ, and and it is important for us to understand that that is the thing, and that that thing has impact. Uh, on people, real people with real lives. And so what he says here in this book uh, at the end is something uh, that, that's 
uh, well, it's probably in many ways the most important thing we could hear and the thing you're least interested in. Let me say that again. (laughs) The most important thing to hear and the thing we're least interested in. Because what he says at the end of the book is to stand firm in the grace of God. Now, grace, the favor of God, manifests to us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and applied to us by the Holy Spirit. Uh, that favor, that, that, that status, that relationship that we have there is the most important thing uh, uh, for life. It is the most important thing uh, for us. And in fact, it is, it is so important, uh, uh, if you, if you want to know how important it is, think about what you'll be thinking about, uh, as you breathe your last, if you're able to think, you're going to be trusting and resting in the grace of God. So I would say at that moment, which, that's the most important thing to be thinking about, then it's the most important thing for now. The problem with grace is that it's a lot like a vaccination. So when you get vaccinated, you get a little bit of something, right? A little bit of a virus or a little bit of a bacteria or whatever, and you get it in there and then you build up immunity to it. And so for many of us, we got a little bit of grace. And as a result of having a little bit of grace, we're inoculated against it. So that it doesn't have its full effect. It doesn't have its, its, its full work in our lives. And so here Peter is at the end of this letter saying at, at the very end uh, uh, what he said at the very beginning, right? So at the very beginning he said, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And then here at the end he writes, I've written briefly, briefly. Uh, isn't that funny? Briefly. Do you think it was brief? Five, five chapters. The writer to the book of Hebrews says he wrote briefly too, and his book's a lot longer, right? Um, I looked this up to try to figure out, well, now why would he say briefly uh, you were supposed to say that? That was the polite thing to say. You only wrote brief letters. So whether you think it was brief or not, he thought it was brief. Five chapters, not much, not too many words, right? So he says, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. That what I've written to you is uh, uh, that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Now, just before this, in verse 10, he writes, The God of all grace who has called uh, you to himself, uh, may he restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you, right? And he juxtaposes this with the statement that there's a devouring lion, the devil who's running around, and that these people who are going to receive this letter are <coughs> going to suffer for just a little while. <coughs> now, it's interesting for us to hear that because one of the things that we may think about grace is, is that if you're in a state of grace, you have no difficulty, you have no struggles, you have, you have no hard things that come your way. Well, in fact, what Peter is getting at here is, is that grace in many ways is most real to us and most necessary to us when we are undergoing the temptation to hear lies, when we are undergoing stress, when we are undergoing difficulties. Next slide. So grace doesn't mean that we will not suffer. Uh, in fact, uh, it's, it's precisely at this place 
where, where we need grace. Grace does not mean that we will not suffer. Rather, it means we have a place to be and to live and to stand firm uh, in, in the midst of, 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 of this. And that's one of the things that's so important for us, right? You know, I was, I was reflecting about this. Uh, I'm on the countdown to my vacation. I don't know if you guys are like that. I am. I'm thinking, all right, how many more weeks till school's out? How many more weeks till we get a break? Uh, I always know that this is happening when I get up on Sunday morning and I think, how many more times do I have to do this before I get a break, right? Now, I tell you that, don't feel bad for me or anything like that. I'm just telling you that because you all do the same thing. You do it with your work too. And if you don't, you should. (coughs) So I think, (coughs) you know, I need... Uh, when it, whenever, I, whenever I come at these things, I think, I can't wait to get on vacation. I read books on vacation. I sit and stare at the water. I stare at the water a lot. Look at the, <coughs> It's important to see the sun come up in the morning and to watch the sun set in the evening. That's what we do. Our kids hate it because we go to places where there is nobody else. And we'll be left alone, and we sit and we watch the sun come up, and we watch the sunset, and we recharge. <clears throat> now, what's so funny to me about that is I'm dying to get there, and it's a good time, and I look forward to it, and it's helpful. But I will tell you that my experience of grace is not nearly as rich on vacation as it is when it's hitting the fan right here at work, day in, day out. Right? When uh, I'm under pressure, when I'm tempted to think I'm a failure, when I am struggling mightily with things that are bigger than me, whenever that happens, I know that um, I need grace probably more, and Eddie knows I need a drink of water, and no more than any other... Uh, time in my life. So the the thing that Peter's getting at here is God's grace is not less when we're doing well, and it's not less when we're doing poorly. Our awareness of it is particularly great when we struggle. Because when everything else seems to be shaking around us and coming undone, that is the one place we can go and hide and know that we have something firm to stand on. So at the end of the letter, Peter says to stand firm in this grace and that that is our hope, that is our life, and that is really the the lifeblood of the church as it struggles with persecution and temptation and difficulty. So he says here that we're able to stand firm because he will complete the work that he has begun in us. <clears throat> now, one of the things that you have to see about that is, and one of the things that is, is so profound about this is, you might hear that, and that might not sound like good news to you, because what you, you might have preferred is that when you got converted, when you trusted Christ, when you heard the gospel of grace, and you believed it for the first time, that what you would have preferred to have happened is for God to translate you immediately to heaven. So that the struggle, this pain, this difficulty, these temptations, this life, 
of, of living with all these things that go on around us and these hurtful things and sickness and disappointments and all of that sort of stuff. When you, when you think about that, you would think, it would, wouldn't it be so much better if I just got zapped out of here and I didn't have to do that? Well, the fact is, God gets a lot of glory in the way in which he works in us and creating a record of faithfulness throughout the, the period of our life to, to show us, to demonstrate to us that what he has begun, the fact that he has converted us, the fact that he has changed us, the fact that he has redeemed us, that work that he has begun, he will bring it to completion. Every Christian ends in glorification. Every Christian ends in glory. Hard to believe that sometimes, right? When I look at my life, don't see a lot of glory in it sometimes. No, when I look at my heart, don't see a lot of glory in it. But the fact is, he, we have uh, the, 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 the truth, the promise, and the record that he will complete the work he has begun in us. Secondly, we're able to stand firm because he establishes us in a solid place in solidarity with Christ. It has been amazing to me this week to hear about all these earthquakes. There's been uh, <clears throat> a number of earthquakes. There was another 4.8 earthquake this morning in Japan. They're having continuing to have uh, aftershocks there, terrible earthquake in Ecuador. And so, you know, recently, remember a few few years ago, we had an earthquake here in, in uh, central Virginia. Remember the one up in Louisa? Remember that? You know, it was bad enough that it destroyed Louisa High School. I mean, we don't, you know... I mean, we're all smart enough to know we don't want to live in California. And yet, you know, here we are. Apparently, we live in a place. I mean, State Farm sent me a thing in the mail. says, hey, do you want earthquake insurance? Because if we have another earthquake and your chimney falls off your house, we're not covering it. Right? I'm like, earthquake insurance? For reals? Really? Really? Well, I remember when that earthquake happened, and I'm sitting there thinking, what is happening? These lights are chandeliers going back and forth. There's this phenomenal noise outside. The chair, the chair's vibrating. And at first I thought, I was at, when this happened, I was sitting in the admissions department of the Virginia Military Institute, and they were watching, showing us a film to get us fired up. And the guy on the film had just said, if I was on an airplane and the engines were on fire... I would want to know that the captain was a VMI graduate. And that, at the moment he said that, my chair started moving. And I thought, oh, oh, how did they, how did they arrange this? <laughs> really? And then I'm like, well, this is, this is continuing to go on and it's not stopping. I'm really disoriented. What is happening? I don't understand what's happening, right? So, so this, when we hear that he says that it gives us a solid place to stand, that he gives us something firm to stand on, what that means is you live in an earthquake zone. Not just Richmond, Virginia, but this planet, this life. Stuff's shaking all the time. But right here, where you stand, on Jesus, doesn't move. Now you see this stuff flying by. And every now and then, your, your knees are, temp- are, are tempted to buckle. And it is, it is difficult and it is challenging, but there is a firm, solid place to stand in the grace of God. Because come what may, while everything else is falling apart, while everything else becomes disorienting, this is orienting. The favor of God rests upon me. Jesus died for me. I belong to him. 
I am a sinner saved by grace, bound for glory. Fourthly, we're able to stand firm. Or, yeah, thirdly, we're able to stand firm because he strengthens us. And ironically, he strengthens us precisely through the difficulties that he calls us to go through. Because what happens to us is, as we live in this day and this place where there are difficulties and there are challenges, these people that are being persecuted here, that are that that have this this the the lying devil running around who wants to tell them lies and and knock them off track. The fact is, he is strengthening them even through the process of them struggling and suffering. A few years ago, I read a, a, an article, a, a medical article, that says once you hit 40, you begin to lose 1% of your muscle mass every year. So I thought, well, my, my mom and dad have made it to their mid-80s. So that means if I don't do something about this, by the time I'm 85, I'm going to be a bone. That's it. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm not... I, I got to do something about this. I got to. I got to change this. What? What? What am I going to do? So I decide. You know, I'm going to start going. I haven't lifted weights in a million years. I need to start lifting some weights. I need. I need to do something to strengthen my muscles because I. 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 I this is what I thought. Bear with me. I don't want to be 70 years old and not able to open the pickle jar. Right. <laughs> Now, maybe you don't stay up at night thinking about things like that, but I do. I'm like, that is, I do not want that to happen. i got to do something about that. So what do you do about that? Well, you, you exercise. You take this, these muscles and you move them and you strengthen them. And it's sore and it's painful and it's difficult. <clears throat> Grace gets exercised in our lives when we go to war against the lies that we were told. Grace gets exercised in our lives when we're tempted not to believe that somehow or other uh, I am judged based solely upon my uh, behavior. My worth and my value is based on what I produce. That I'm only useful to God if I'm useful to God. Fourthly, we're able to stand firm because he places us on a firm foundation of truth. One of the things that you have to see about this, and one of the things that Peter is getting at in this text is that when we talk about the cross of Christ, when we talk about the fact that Jesus Christ really was nailed to a cross and that he really died and that he really rose again from the dead, that the atoning work that he made for our, our sins is, is real that I am forgiven, that my sins have been atoned for, and that when he was raised from the dead, uh, his righteousness was applied to me so that I can stand before God with the certainty and the assurance that I am his righteous one, that I belong to him and that he belongs to me. And so so one of the things that we have to realize about this is this: these are not just some sort of psychological or theological fictions that we tell ourselves so that we can kind of cope with the difficulties in life. What Peter says here is, this is true, this is real, I saw it, I touched it, I heard it, I was there. Next slide. So that's why he says to us today, and one of the things that is so important for us is, if there were any summary for a leader to give to the people following him, it would be this. Here is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Live in it. (laughs) 
I mean, at the end of this letter, the thing that he wants people to walk out of church hearing is, oh yeah, the grace of God demonstrated to me in Jesus Christ, applied to me by the Holy Spirit, live in it. Be defined by it. Be moved by it. Be changed by it, right? So, because, and and it's so profound for us to understand this when he says to stand firm in it, is we need to remember that the man who writes this, his name is not Peter. His name is Simon. He was given the name Peter, the rock, and, and we shouldn't miss the irony in what he is saying to us here, that, the, that, the, that he's not the rock, but that the rock is the testimony that he bears faithfully by the Holy Spirit to this Jesus who lived, died, and rose again, and who gave him this witness to give to the church. So... It's important to note that what we're talking about here is the truth testified to by witnesses. This word here that he uses uh, in, in, in our text for declaring is the word used elsewhere in the New Testament to describe the witnesses needed to validate the sale of property, right? Um, we, have, we have in our office here at the church, we have a notary public. Uh, and her job is to take her stamp and mash it on a piece of paper and it says, this is real. These people who signed this are, are real people. They really did this and this was really their intention. Well, that's what we have here by the, the declaration that Peter gives to us is, listen, what he's talking to us about is not something, some sort of psychological or theological fiction. This has really happened. This is the truth. This is the truth. And, and, and it happened in time and in space. So, so he, he's, because Peter's witness is true, his encouragement is real, right? So when I say to you uh, in your struggle, in your temptation, in your difficulty, that God is for you, that Jesus Christ died for that sin, when I tell you not to believe the lie that, that your worth and your value is bound up in how you look or how smart you are or how much money you have, I can tell you that not just so that it makes you feel a little bit better, because it's true whether you believe it or not. It's real. So why wouldn't you stand firm in that which, uh, that which is real and true? So they cling not to an impersonal moral code, nor to philosophical abstractions. They cling to the grace of God, not what they have done for God, but what God has done for them in Christ. Listen. We're doers. I say this all the time. We love to do. We love to do things. You know, uh, <clears throat> I realized this week that we're gearing up for one of our biggest do's, Vacation Bible School. We do a lot. Man, these kids in this church don't know how blessed they are that people kill themselves to make this place look like a spaceport this year and to proclaim the gospel to them, right? I mean, the, we, we love to do. We love activity. Let's do something, you know? You hear about something? We're, we're, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. Well, what, what the grace of God says to us today is this. When push comes to shove, and you wonder, and you wonder about yourself, and you evaluate, and you look at your life, and you hear whispering in your ear, you know what? You're failing. Miserable mess, and there's no way in the world that God could love you. Or when you hear, 
you know what? If God loved you, this wouldn't be happening to you. Or you hear something even worse, that somehow or other, some sin that you've committed, some struggle that you have, disqualifies you from the grace of God. You see, that's the the very nature of grace. And what makes it so wonderful and so profound, and in some ways something that we tend to forget, is because it is not what we've done for God, but what God has done for us in Christ that matters. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that's all that matters, right? Now, I want to I want to I want to give you a, a kind of a practical way and to help you kind of grapple with the way uh, this works itself out in life, and and how in the crucible of the moment of suffering and doubt and struggle, uh, you can come you can come to grips with this. I I read a couple of blogs of people who are um, uh, missionaries. Uh, with uh, Surge, formerly World Harvest. And this is a blog entry from a few years ago from a fella who is a uh, missionary in Prague, Czech Republic. Uh, he has two little boys, and they had a little girl who I think at the time was less than two years old who was diagnosed with cancer. She was seriously, seriously sick, very sick. Um, and he wrote in this blog about his struggle uh, and his... Uh, his struggle to kind of get at uh, any kind of comfort from the gospel in the midst of this. And so what he said in this blog entry was, as he says, I certainly don't mean we get up early every day for a long and substantial quiet time. It'd be better if we did, but we don't. So kudos for honesty, right? I do mean we cry out frequently and we remind ourselves of what we know to be true. Not the vague assurance that everything will be okay. That's not grace, the vague assurance that everything will be okay. Because uh, it might not, not the way we want it to be, right? But the actual promises God makes to us. I mean, our friends copy and paste from their devotional reading and remind us. That's, that's one of the great things that, that Christian friends do for us. Like the uh, IV that gives Eliza, their daughter, the fluids and nutrition she needs God works by his word and his spirit to keep us. And here's his example of how how this worked. So on Eliza's first night in the ICU, after her surgery, the wheels were coming off for me. Now I don't, maybe that, that language, the wheels were coming off for you, maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, the wheels are coming off. Um, when I was a kid, we would go to church, come home, eat our roast beef and green beans, and then in the wintertime, when we couldn't go outside and play baseball or basketball, we would watch Fred Kirby. Fred Kirby was a cowboy in Charlotte, singing cowboy. Uh, his, he also had a weekly gig with, at the Tweetsie Railroad. He was the sheriff who killed all the bad guys. You can't do that anymore. But uh, back then, in the 60s, people liked that kind of stuff. Well, he would sing a song. And then they would show an episode from The Little Rascals. Now, I know most of you have no idea what The Little Rascals is. Google it. Uh, Spanky and Alfalfa and The Little Rascals. Well, one of my favorite episodes of The Little Rascals is they're racing down a hill in a cart that they made. 
Well, the wheels come off. And you know what happens when the wheels come off? You don't stop. You spin around. And you're disoriented. And you don't know where you're going. And because you're going downhill, you're spinning while you're going downhill, screaming and hollering, life is coming to an end, you're disoriented, you think you're going to die. So when the wheels come off, you're spinning around, you have no orientation, and you think you're going to die, right? There was a point where they wouldn't let us in, and we didn't know what was happening. It turned out not to be a problem, but it was the most scared I've ever been. Then her numbers just weren't as stable as they had been through the afternoon, and the stress of staring at them was driving me up a wall. I went outside and paced back and forth in the cool night air, reciting Psalm 46 out loud over and over. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of armies is with us. And this, this is what I, I love about this. That was enough to calm me down, enough for that hour. <laughs> right? Right? I'm like, oh yeah, that's true. You know, the eternal verity of the faithfulness and the love of God for me, that'll get me about mm, 58 minutes. <laughs> okay, right? Um, nothing else was working. I memorized that psalm when I was in seminary, and however long it took, it's paid off richly in the last three months. God is always so eager to speak to us, to reassure us, to give us a firm foundation to put our feet on. This word is so rich, so deep, so powerful and effective, and we are, I am, so eager to run to cheap things like the iPad, I'm writing this on for fun, or maybe it's alcohol or ice cream or some sort of image or whatever. He says, please run to God's word. Do it when it feels good and when it doesn't. When the earth beneath your feet gives away his truth, the gospel, the love of God to you in Christ, is all you have to stand on. It's the only thing there is. It's sweet and solid. I, I, I like this because we tend not to think of sweet and solid as going together. But what a powerful image to know that come what may, what the cross tells me is, what the gospel tells me is, that as life ebbs and flows, as difficulties come and go, as lies fly at me, and as, as suffering and pain and difficulty comes, one thing remains certain that I can stand in, and that is that because Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again, and because by his Spirit he has joined me to that, because I belong to him, God is my refuge. He is my strength. And though the earth give way, I'll trust him. Now this doesn't mean that you don't have to go out in the night air and pace. This doesn't mean uh, that you can inoculate yourself once with this. But what it does mean is that in, in life, in all of this, that the witness of the atoning work of Jesus is the only sure thing in the world. You want a sure thing. 
You want something that's solid, yet sweet and wonderful and life-giving. It's the witness that we have that Jesus Christ loves us, that he died for us, that he rose again for us, and that he will see us through to the end. So as you face difficulty, as you face persecution, as you face challenges, as you face temptations, where's the place you can stand? In the favor and the grace demonstrated to us by God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we need a sense of this. Uh, Thanks for this word uh, at the end of this book about the favor of God. Lord, I'm tempted to think that I need more than that. I'm tempted to think uh, that that it's not enough. I'm tempted to think that somehow or other you will, um, well, uh, that um, in fact maybe sometimes I would prefer other things. And yet you see through all of that and you give me what is most necessary. Lord, I pray today for those who struggle uh, with feeling like there's nothing firm to stand on. I I pray for those today who are cold and hardened. I pray today for those who uh, are inoculated against the grace of God and uh, um, can, um, well, look for something else on which to stand, uh, that you would disrupt, that you would challenge, and that you would bring to bear uh, the witness that Peter brings to us by your Spirit to challenge us to know that the only place we can stand firm is in your favor and grace in Jesus Christ. So bless us with that today. I pray that you would encourage the struggling Encourage the tempted and bear witness uh, to those, to the doubter today, that uh, this ground is firm and solid. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As the guys come up to take up the offering, let me remind you to drop your tear off in the plate. Please don't feel pressure to give. Only give today if it's a part of your worship and response to God's goodness and grace.